For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. This is Matt Hickey with host Mike. How you doing? I'm lovely. How are you? I am, well, better now that the Indy 500's over with, but also sad, obviously. Yeah. But better because it was such a good race. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for those of you who live under a rock, the top five from the race was Elio Castroneves, Meyer Shank Racing, First place, fourth Indy 500 win for Elio. The first one-off to do it since Dan Weldon 2011. So much to go through. We'll try to get into as much as we can. Alex Pelo second. Simon Pagano, an epic comeback to P3. Paddle Ward, P4. And Ed Carpenter, also a really good noteworthy comeback to P5. We're just going to start with Elio. It was so refreshing to see him celebrate. And I know... In the past, and I will still maintain why, and we'll talk about it here in a second. You know, I'm not known as the biggest Elio fan. However, it's You're still not. not. No, I know, but it's still. Yeah. It was still awesome to see him celebrate in the way he did, and obviously the fence climb was going to happen. But then to, to continue it and to celebrate the fans and go up to the fence several times and run down the straight and the the lap and the the pace car afterwards with the owners and Doug Bowles where the fans were climbing the fence was so cool. That's an image that's going to stick around for a long time. Just all of the scenes after the race is why people love Elio Castroneves and, and why the speedway and him will always be intertwined. So he's won his fourth one. Now he now joins Unser, Foyt and Mears as the four time winners doesn't sound like he's going to step away anytime soon. So now every year we'll get the five time question mark. <laughs> where do you rank him at this point, even though he's still got some years left? Where do you rank him among the all time greats at the Indianapolis 500? Wow. I, if I knew I was going to be brought with such a question, I would have done a little bit more research, but Definitely top five. I mean, the fact you're a four-time winner automatically puts you above, say, a Michael Andretti who led, you know, 4,000 laps there and didn't manage to win a race. But I, I don't know where I would put him, say. It's tough to... I still... I really struggle comparing somebody like Elio with... AJ Foyt or 
you know, Bobby Unser or Al Unser or anything like that, just because it's, it was such a different era of racing. So I am going to say he is top five all time at the speedway and just leave it at that. Yeah. For me, my, my brain is pretty black and white and there is nothing to take away from the drivers of yesteryear because I think it takes a different kind of driver to drive. I mean, we're obviously for the longest time racing was ridiculously unsafe. I'm talking like 1911 when the first Indy 500 started to about the sixties and seventies, like just mid sixties, horrendous, horrendously unsafe. Like you guys are absolutely nuts for taking that car onto the track and trying to race it. Like you have lost your mind. And then from there, it became pretty darn unsafe and fast. And this new wave of technology and teams really ramping it up. And then we get to the 90s and on. And now it's specifically 96, you know, spec series, very few chassis. Engines are pretty marginally the same for the most part. And when I factor that into my brain, you know, Foyt, Unser, Mears, Clark, De Palma, whoever, nothing taken away from those guys, but I now would absolutely rank Elio as the greatest Indy 500 driver of all time. To win four races in a spec series era, I I struggle to see that happening maybe ever again. I mean, one can make the argument that when they showed up in 01, you know, Penske was better than everybody, but we have to remember they only ran like three IRL races before that, or maybe even two, I think it might've been two IRL races before they showed up to that first one. And they still wiped the floor with the IRL field. And he was also a rookie that year. First time doing the Indy 500. Uh, Oh, two, we can, uh, I loved his subtle shade of Paul Tracy. In this thing. That was awesome. But, whether whatever you think the finish happened, he still ran a great race. Oh nine had the comeback story because of his legal troubles. And then between then then and now, he's had three second place finishes. 2017, uh coulda shoulda woulda with uh oh no, sorry, which I think it was 2016, the one that the year that Hildebrand hit his rear pod and he said some not so nice things about Hildebrand on the radio. But that really, obviously, he was running like top five all day. He just doesn't do anything poorly at the Speedway for some reason. He's just always there. It's insane. And now to do this in Dragon Speed's chassis from last year on a team that's been running full-time for two seasons. Yes, they have a lot of help from Andretti Autosport, but that's still for us, a team that's been doing this for two seasons to come up with a part-time entry for Elio to field it first race with the team and he goes out and wins. I I just, it's like Hollywood stuff almost. So I don't know. I just think that looking at what he's done, I have to say that he's the best to ever do it at Indy 500. I, the only other one I would take is probably Rick Mears, but you know, you look at some of his wins and, and Penske was far and away better than some of the teams that he ran against in some of those seasons credit he does have to go out there and beat his teammates who are all also elite but just looking at the strength of the field nowadays with how many good teams are there you could have had 
25 different drivers win on Sunday. So for Elio to win it again was like, what on earth is happening here? Yeah, I I can't argue with anything you said, especially you're just looking at the leader summary from this weekend. Obviously, you know, Connor Daly was super strong for a while. Second place, Polo was strong for a while. VK was strong. Pato was strong. Colton Herta was strong. Graham Rahal was strong. Scott Dixon started strong. Simon Pagino was flying through the field. There were so many things that could have happened. And and as Simon Pagino said on the post-race media call, he said he could see what Elio was doing for essentially the last 20, 20-ish lap, 25-ish laps, where he was just learning what Polo was doing and just waiting for the right time to make that pass. So, yeah, I'm... I you might have swayed my decision a little bit and I'm I will we will have a special episode this week with Elio. We were able to get on the media list for the 500 winner which is a huge honor and super difficult to do and we haven't been on that list yet in our 4 years as we've continued to grow but we will I will be on it with like a handful of other media guys so it won't be just me and and it'll be during the day, so Matt won't be joining. But still, a really cool honor to to talk to him, and I'm excited. But Matt, where do we where do we want to start? Let's start with the first pit stop issue. Stefan Wilson loses his brakes going into the pits. Okay, brings out a yellow flag. You think, all right, no harm, no foul. I mean, harm for Stefan, but the rest of the field just packs back up. Oh, wait, half the field has to go into emergency mode and pit during a closed pit stop. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cars who had to restart at the back of the field. And then actually 10 total, uh, eight total because of pitting under a closed pit. Will Power failed to keep pace car speed and Chilton had a pit speed violation. Is that the most hectic penalty sequence under a yellow flag you can remember because it does make sense why it took so long under yellow once you kind of look at the fact there were 10 penalties to sort through yeah i'm glad we didn't get more cautions because that one first one was pretty painful yeah it was. Um, and as far as wilson's incident we saw what six, seven other drivers do the exact same thing. So I don't think it yeah. was a driver issue. I think it was just the no. conditions and drivers pushing the limit and whatnot. So I think there's some people are pretty, pretty unfair to Stefan on Twitter. It wasn't great to see, but I hope he gets a chance to uh, come back and do it again. And then, yeah, I, um, I said this on Twitter. I, I really don't. I mean, I'm not saying that you need to go a hundred percent and go full out. Like, Colton and Renus were doing, but I really don't understand the point of saving fuel on the first stint of what's going to be about a two and a half hour race. I I mean, it would make sense if you think the and I can't, I think it was 2014 where there wasn't a yellow until like lap 160. Yeah, and if you're really banking on that, then yeah, I think it would make. sense do that or if you really think there's not going to be a single caution in the race 
yeah, trying to ink out one less pit stop would probably be a really good idea. But not knowing which, I mean, it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Or you could just maybe do like the first stint normal and, and maybe the second stint normal. And you're like, oh, wow, like conditions are great. Grip is really good. No one's crashing. Like maybe let's start to, you know, trim it out and dial back the fuel. I just don't understand why it's worth pushing it on the first stint. And, you know, it's the first hot stop of the day. Drivers are going to make mistakes here and there, or miss the wrong pit stop or crews are under pressure. You're going to send a guy out who has a really good strategy and his wheel's not going to be on it correctly. <laughs> not bitter about that because I picked him in fantasy. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just don't understand it. So to see Rossi, Dixon, Kanan, Erickson, et cetera, et cetera, all get screwed because they stayed out too long in that first one, it just boggles my mind, really. And their whole race is basically over at that point on lap 39. Yeah, you you, you bring up a great point early on in the race, you really need to see how it plays out. You know, you have strategy A, okay, fuel safe. Strategy B, go hard. How do you, I just don't think it makes sense to wait and wait and wait because if you're a guy like Rossi, you're starting in 10th, okay, you want to jump up top five, top six, then maybe hang out, but you don't want to go in ultra safe mode because, well, then when lap 35 comes around, you stall in pit lane and Rossi never recovered. Dixon looked like he was about to recover, but just didn't have the the sequence quite down in terms of when his last pit stop was. But I definitely agree there. I also feel bad for Stefan. It, it wasn't his fault. I did not see anything on social media, but I haven't particularly been on much over the last 24 and change hours. So... Shame on anybody who blamed Stefan for that. But I am very curious to see because, you know, so it happened to him, happened to Will Power, happened to Simona, happened to Hunter Ray, McLaughlin. I might be missing one. I, I think, think that's it. About right. Felix Rosenquist had a speeding yeah, penalty Rosenquist in pit lane, through, but, but don't I don't think that, that was... Yeah, I think they said a half a mile over, so <laughs> so yeah. close. But so I'm I'm curious as to you know every driver said the brake pedal went to the floor, so I'm curious as to what what the technical reason behind this was. And I know so as of Tuesday night, it hasn't come out yet. I know Marshall Pruitt said he was working on something, talking to teams and talking to the brake manufacturer and Delara and whatnot. So I'm, I'm, I am very curious to understand that. I would like to understand kind of technically what happened there that maybe drivers could do better or it would not do better. That's putting the blame on the drivers, at least what they could have learned from it. Yeah. I mean, when it happens so many times, like I said, it's just kind of a, it's, it's not a driver issue. I don't think so. Curious no. to see what comes up there. So, um, I wanted to point out one thing too, is that it's yeah. crazy that there was not a single on track incident, despite the, what I perceived to be the craziest start of an Indy <laughs> 500 ever coming to the line. Cause it looked like Talladega almost with, you know, three by three, eight rows deep. We had one, one row that was four wide somehow. McLaughlin really got a good start and just decided to go on the outside. So that was crazy. I'm really glad we got through that. I was so nervous on the couch watching that i'm like oh my god that looks terrible and if if one person gets that wrong 
that's a 15 to 20 car crash immediately, which is such a would be such a bad look for the sport. So I'm really glad they got through that. Okay. And then, yeah, there was, I, not to my knowledge, there was not a single on-track contact all day, which was really well done by the field. The only crash, I mean, obviously, other than Wilson in the pits, was Ray Hall getting sent out on a tire that wasn't fitted properly, and then he crashed into the turn two wall. Really glad he didn't spin into the path of anybody, because that could have been really nasty. So, And then, you know, the tire bouncing, uh, thankfully... We have the aero screen as a backup now, but it did hit Connor Daly's front wing. But if we didn't have the aero screen, that would have been a very scary near miss, really. Uh, so that was, again, just thankful for the safety there. But kind of pivoting back to Ray Hall here, he said in his interview that they they were the ones to beat. He was another one that was saving a lot of fuel and doing the overcut really well. I think he was about to cycle somewhere into the fifth region but he yeah. really insisted that he was going to win that race so are you buying or selling what ray hall was saying in that interview there oh definitely buying he i don't know if it was his first in i think it might have been his second stint he went six or seven laps longer than anybody else and his last few laps on that stint were competitive lap times to the leaders at the time so I think he was definitely a force to be reckoned with. And obviously, again, to no fault of his own. I'd have to go back and, and look at it, but it almost looked like to me the team hadn't yet sent him out when he went because they knew there was a problem with that with that lug nut. So I, I don't know. I would have to watch. I'd have to watch it. I think this would be the fourth time. I, I watched the the replay of the 500 that night, and I watched the replay again on monday because it's done nothing but rain here for like four days so and and that was the one thing i did not look at a second and third time because i just couldn't bring myself to feel bad for ray hall again i am curious i i did hear that mon at some point it might have been early on montoya made a little bit of contact with sage Karam. i think i saw on social media Karam mentioned that so Pretty impressive then that they both finished in seventh for Karam and, and ninth for Montoya. So, you know, you mentioned Elio winning as a one-off, which hasn't happened since Dan Weldon, but we have one-offs kind of littered all throughout the top 10 and, and top 15, really, and Ferrucci in, in sixth, Karam in seventh, Montoya in ninth, Let's go down here. Hildebrand in 15th. So, and obviously Elio winning the race. So I can't remember a year where, okay, obviously, you know, you have a one-off that's strong occasionally. I can't, like, this is kind of like the year of the one-off where they're, they're so strong throughout the top 15, really. Yeah, I don't know what it is with Ferrucci. It's. I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Munoz, but he kind of has that Munoz feel to him where <laughs> dude is really good at Indy, and then kind of everywhere else you go, oh, he's he's okay. Like He's had a couple good moments at like Gateway and whatnot, but really, if you think about it, it's kind of just Indianapolis is like his thing. So I'm trying to think of a year where we had as many good one-offs. The only one that really came to my mind 
from the last couple years at least off the top of my head was 2013 almost solely because Carlos Munoz finished second in his first career start. AJ Allmendinger on his one and only Indy 500, in my opinion, had the strongest car that day. He ended up finishing seventh, but I think that doesn't quite show just how good he was that day. So those are two really good part-timers that year. Kind of looking at other drivers here on that list. Not really. Connor Daly didn't do a whole lot that day. Catherine Legg, no. Townsend Bell, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, to see Montoya do well after kind of a tough GP, to see Ferrucci continue what we all kind of perceive of him as far as being a really good driver at the Indy 500. And uh, he did not pass Connor Daly on the first lap. Just want that noted for the record. Um, and then obviously Elio winning. That's a, I, I think, I mean, I know he had 35 cars this year, almost 36. I think you can maybe see the point in case or maybe having more part-time entries next year. I think if you're a team and don't look at the results this year and go, wow, we should do this. Or even Andretti, we like to make fun of them for having eight cars. Well, one of them won, and it wasn't the one we really pegged to win, but that they won, and Harvey had a good race too. He just didn't – had a, another terrible pit stop apparently, which really sucks. But, you know, I think hopefully some of the teams that maybe didn't take advantage of this opportunity to add another entry this year maybe look at it again and go, maybe there's something here to this. I think kind of adding on what you said, yeah, I feel bad for for Jack Harvey, just can't catch a break. But maybe this also helps sponsors go, oh, all these one-off entries are doing well, which leads me to think, oh, I should spend some marketing money on an Indy 500 entry because there is more of a chance where versus kind of the last couple of years, the one-offs have been not featured up high outside of, you know, Karam had a good run with the Wix filters car a few years ago, but yep. Yeah, I, I know you have one more thing to say before we move on. I have one other topic to get to before we talk about our dismal predictions. Sounds good. Um, I just think it's funny that when you say the marketing thing, the, because this car, every car that wins a new 500, obviously is going to be immortalized and preserved and whatnot. And they're going to make replicas of it, things like that. But it says, what does it say on the car? Something like free Sirius XM until June 14th. We're going to be looking yeah. at that like 30 years from now going like, what the heck is that about? <laughs> <laughs> my, Are they going to have my... to offer free Sirius through like June, whatever, for the rest of ever? <laughs> I forget who, who it was. Somebody was like, I can't figure out how to take a, a, a picture of the QR code on my TV right now to get the free Sirius. And I didn't comment because I didn't want to upset the youths on Twitter during the race. But all you have to do, like most TVs have like the pause button now. If you if you have cable, or I guess if you even have if you're watching it on you know, YouTube TV or whatever, you can just hit the pause button and then you can scan the QR code. Just saying, it's not that hard. Anyway, with Ferrucci's sixth place result, Takuma Sato finished. 14th after starting 15th kind of really outside of leading seven laps which i think was the result of just timing of pit stops and ray hall obviously crashing but having a really strong car i want to say ray hall letterman lanigan has now cemented themselves in 
you know, a team that should be considered an Indy 500 winning contention car every year. Yay or nay? Nay. I would say... Right below it? No, I'd say I think the last couple years for sure. It just obviously depends on... Honestly, it depends on Team Penske getting their act together. I don't know what the, what's going on there, but it seems like the last two years with the introduction of the aero screen, yes, they've looked very good, but I think that's kind of subject to ebb and flow a little bit depending on what changes from year to year and, you know, if someone poaches some of their staff, things like that. So I, uh, I was very hopeful on their chances this year. I actually picked all three of their drivers in fantasy. I don't know what happened to Sato, if I'm being honest. I think they just got the strategy wrong, but he was, it, to my memory, running kind of lower top 10 before they threw the dice. So, I mean, they were just going for the win. Hard to fault them, but I just don't think it worked out to quite what they were hoping for. But, yeah, I I've, I struggle to put anybody, even Ganassi. I mean, Ganassi could lay an egg next year. I mean, they looked really strong this year, but who knows what changes between year to year and, and as strong as they were all month, they didn't even get the win. So, um, no, I think going into next year, it's still kind of one of those things. I, I have no idea who's going to be good. Fair enough. I got one for you. And um, I know you're talking to Elio. I would love you forever if you told him that I thought he was the goat at Indy. I feel like for me, this is uh, <laughs> something I uh, – don't normally admit about people, uh, especially Elio, someone who I've been very critical of in the past. So I got a couple of Elio questions for you. The first is, do you think, and I, I think this might be on the slate to, that someone's going to ask him, but do you think Meyer Shank alter his rest of season schedule now that they have this enormous purse that they've just won and the exposure and the fame and all that. Do we see Elio going from a six schedule uh, outing to maybe more? It's definitely possible. I know Michael Schenk said that before he does any road street courses, he would likely get a test day in at some point. I don't know if it was, this it's now June. Yeah. So this month or, or early July, but I don't think it would be anything before say whatever is after mid Ohio. So I know there's like the Olympic break this summer. So maybe like the end of July, early August, whatever that first. So I guess Nashville, I don't know. I just, I just don't know timing wise if this year would work out. Do I think it would help? And I might be stealing your thunder for your next question for him to be like a second full-time Meyer Shank car next year. I would see that as a, I could see him doing like 10 races next year. Like I don't know about full-time, but I think the exposure will definitely help more next year. Yeah. I, I get excited at the possibility of just maybe this turning into something better just because I'm always excited to add another. Yeah what appears to be good quality entry and, you know, an obvious legend of the sport and whatnot. Someone has a lot of fans and can, um, you know, really help with, uh, you know, fan engagement and whatnot at the track. Yeah. Especially if fans are going to be allowed in the paddock over the next couple races, I think starting at least Detroit and road America have confirmed that, but 
I could see him doing gateway now that I kind of think on, think on it a little bit. That would be one that would be relatively, I don't want to say easy for them to add, but it's, it's an oval. So he wouldn't need as much. I'm sure he's run there in past IndyCar experiences at some point years ago. So, and did he do one with Penske before he got shuttered to IMSA or did that timing wise just not match up? Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. What do you mean? Just Indy or other races? Uh, Gateway. Did he do Gateway or was that was Gateway back on the IndyCar calendar right off, right after he got booted from from Penske full time? Uh, so Gateway was 2017 and he was still full time at that one because I think that's okay. the one yeah, where yeah, he yeah. was it's either that or Iowa where he was doing super well and ran. I think it was Gateway. He ran out of fuel on the pit stop in and then stalled from like the top yep. three or something. Yep, I think I was so, there. Yes. That was the only time he's run Gateway, I believe, because then he went down to part-time, yep. I think, in 2018, if memory serves me correct. So, um, yeah, so my second question was actually something that our buddy David Lighting brought up. I can't wait Twitter. for this. Uh, and if you happen to be one of the couple of individuals who ate lunch at the same restaurant with David Lighting and waved at him and said hi and said hey you're that guy that was on that podcast at one time weren't you that that word did get back to us so yes david lighting is more famous than us somehow which doesn't surprise me um i mean i'm not down on myself per se but he is a little better looking than me for sure so there's no shame there so he definitely he definitely has a more famous face than i do so uh but yes we appreciate sport and uh glad somehow one way or another david lighting is attached to this podcast in that way i guess i think that's his claim to fame apparently or something i don't know anyways something our good friend david lighting brought up on social media was kind of the which legacy would you rather have postulation and he was trying to see if you were an individual who could you know start your racing career and then 20 years down the line if you could pick your resume would you pick four Indianapolis 500 wins and zero IndyCar championships or six 
IndyCar championships, but only one Indianapolis 500 win. So which are you taking? I love this. I knew this was going to be a question on the show. As soon as I saw, well, you and Lighting going back and forth kind of over the weekend a little bit. And then I don't know if it was today or yesterday on Twitter. So I have, I have rehearsed my answer. I don't want to say rehearsed, but I have thought about my answer enough to where I would say I would take four Indianapolis 500 victories over one and six championships. Okay. Well, you obviously know I disagree. Yes. And this is part of where my bias against Elio comes in. So and I, I'm just saying, I did just say like 20 minutes ago that I think he's the greatest Indianapolis 500 driver ever. And that's a lofty claim for me to make. I'm not sitting here and saying that's not outrageous. Maybe some people disagree. That's fine. It's only been a race that's been going around since 1911. So for someone to kind of boldly claim there's one driver amongst all of them that's better than everybody, it's kind of a bold claim. But as far as legacies go, what that means is that we're saying you would rather be the best driver of the greatest race of all time rather than just an all-around great driver. And so this is where I struggle with Elio. Again, he's on the... I think for definitively, he's on the Mount Rushmore at the very least of Indianapolis 500 drivers, wherever people may lay on that debate. But he is not an elite IndyCar driver all around. He's had too good of a ride for too long to not have won a championship with team Penske. And I've always said that if he had won a championship at some point, he absolutely would be up near the top 10, top five greatest IndyCar drivers ever. But without that championship, I just can't do it. I can't convince myself that he's one of the great drivers. And so on the flip side, if Scott Dixon had six IndyCar championships and no Indy 500 wins, I'd be like, well, that resume is incomplete. Like you can do it everywhere, but how can you not get it done at the the most important race in the world? So I would also say that one's incomplete, but he's got the Indy 500 win and he's got six championships in an era dominated with spec cars. To me, Scott Dixon will always forever, not even close, not even in the same sentence is, is a much better driver than Elio Cashman of his all around. Now, I would take Elio at the Indy 500, but you're talking any other track, I'm taking Scott Dixon. And for that reason, that's why I would rather have that resume because he is, without a doubt, one of the greatest drivers ever, no matter what track. And that's including Indy. I mean, he's no slouch at Indy. He just doesn't have some of those breaks go his way that lead to wins, unfortunately. Okay, that's fair. I respect your take. I understand where you're coming from. I'm going to disagree, and I think we'll make this our Twitter poll when when the episode releases and and get the overall fan input side of things here. But I I don't really have much of a rebuttal for you if I'm being completely honest because I didn't really think about that. You can just come on if you want. No, I'm not going to do that. I, that that would be mean. And I'm I'm feeling I'm I'm in a good mood today. The race the race was good and. To, there's more race. There's Formula One this weekend, so there's a lot. There's a lot going on. I'm getting older this week, so. Oh God. Yeah, I know it's it's a sad. I think I'm going to be Elio's age this week. So is it, is it Medicare time, or are you not quite there yet? Not not quite there yet. 
So, oh, okay. and I remembered to mail out the team pit lane t-shirts for your mom. So you finally mailed something to my mom. Yes, I had, I did have in, in my defense, I did have to wait for the t-shirts to be printed. So this was not really my fault. Okay. Well, I cannot control when a business prints things, but shout whatever. out to styled aesthetic for printing the t-shirts. All right. Well, and, there's a couple more things I want to get to here. So first yeah. one is just uh, kind of, you know, are you up for talking about Team Penske or could you take it or leave it? Let's let's do it. All right. So Simon Pagano, where we heard all during the week, this guy's got the best race car to the Team Penske stable. He's going <laughs> to make his way to the front and like all race. I'm like, ah, well, he's still kind of like 12th-ish. And then all of a sudden, like nowhere, he's like top five. I'm like, how did that happen? And then he gets Pat on the last lap to take P3, which is pretty cool. Uh, so he did good. Power, we documented his you know, brake failure or whatever coming into the pits. He also lost control, had to be turned around, lost a couple laps. I, I was watching some of the onboard replays from the first lap today. It looked like a lot of understeer early because he was trying to yeah. just keep it out of the wall a couple times. New Garden had a weird strategy going. I have no idea what was going on there, if I'm being honest. Uh, he was going for the undercut every stop, and then it just just didn't work at the end. And I don't know if they were just trying to switch it up and go for the win or what, but it just didn't work. McLaughlin was actually having a pretty respectable race until he had his pit speeding penalty and then was kind of relegated to a different strategy and ran out of gas or was close to running out of gas in the last lap. Simona had a day to forget, kind of a learning experience for her and the team to move forward, but another one that had a pit issue, just not not the best day for them all day, really. So Penske's now had kind of two years in a row where they've really struggled. What I mean, what changes do they have to make to get back to the front next year at Indianapolis? So let me start with the good first. We said, like like you said, all week doesn't matter about what Simon says about race pace because he's starting 26. I take that back next. If, if Simon has a bad qualifying and he says that next year, I'm going to put money on him to finish in the top 10. I should have probably done that this year. But overall, yeah, New Garden strategy was perplexing because they went for the undercut about three pit stops in a row. And you you do that because you think okay historically there's always a, a yellow there's typically a yellow in the last 50 laps of the race or so and that just didn't happen this year so bad luck will power i mean on the first sequence before the the pit stop he passed seven or eight guys and then had to restart from the rear of the field because well i mean 10 other guys did and i think that shuffled him towards the rear of the rear but he was able to make up some positions and then just kind of never really recovered from there. McLaughlin was was decent, having a good day. So I I think whatever they do, whether it be in the offseason or the first day of of Indianapolis practice, 500 practice next year, they need to do maybe just a, a full day of... Maybe the first day they need to... Oh, maybe they need to do more qualifying runs so they start better because if Simon Pagano started 15th instead of 26th 
he probably would have been right up there in contention for a win much sooner than he was. So I'm going to say I, th- I think they need to figure out what, they, what they've been missing in qualifying for the last two years because we two years in a row now that we don't have a Penske in the Fast 9. I think so, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's the, ever since the introduction of the aero screen, for one reason or another, it just hasn't worked for Team Penske. And as they said in the commentary, I mean, I know Chevy predominantly did not have the pace against Honda, but Ed Carpenter Racing did for whatever reason. So it's not like it's the engine, I don't think. I mean, I don't think the engine is necessarily helping them get to the front, but I also don't think it's the primary roadblock for them. So they definitely have some head scratching and soul searching to do for the next uh, next year because it's uh hasn't been good ever since uh, roger bought the tracks so that's kind of a weird one uh can't i feel like we can't go through the episode without talking about marco and Jerry for at least 30 seconds so what did you think of marco's return and race on sunday i don't think i heard his name mentioned once when the race started so it was a pretty rough day for marco he was he was invisible and i don't mean that to be mean but it was just totally a forgettable day one to forget i uh it's kind of one of those another one of those where it's just confusing because you know they had a bunch of issues leading up to the qualifying and then they feel like they figured it all out so they feel pretty confident coming in the race and it was just nowhere i don't know what happened yeah he said he said he was way too trimmed out at the start of the race and they kept trying to change the car and on on the pit stops and it wasn't working. And I feel like we've heard that for the last handful of years, like a couple of years ago when he started maybe 10th, it was, it, I think it was 2019 when he ran the, uh, the, the day glow red slash orange Mario Andretti tribute. And he plummeted and could barely hang on to the car and finish the race. It's, I don't, I don't know what it is, but he seems like when he starts the car and it's not good, he can never recover no matter what they do in the pits throughout the day. Okay. Last thing I wanted. Yeah, I completely agree. I just don't know what's going on there. And yeah, but uh, last thing I wanted to bring up before we recap some of our awful predictions, did you get the sense looking at some of the TV images and photos and stuff taken that 40% capacity <laughs> might have been a little generous? I mean, I, it obviously didn't look like Snake Pit was there or any of the infield seating was allowed on the non-permanent seats. Yeah. But you look at some of the shots of like the front straightaway and turn one, it looked like a normal race day if you ask me. Man, this has been this is a, a hot topic in the Jokum household. I I don't know what to think because camera ang- camera angles are very deceiving and camera angles at racetracks are even more deceiving because they've found ways to hide empty seats at you know ovals like Texas and whatnot for years. So was there more than 135,000? I wouldn't be too surprised, but I I don't I don't know really what to think because it's is it covered by camera angles maybe part is it more than one hundred five thousand probably a little bit but 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely, <laughs> some of those TV angles, especially the ones that were like top down on the stands, you kind of look at those and you're like, did, did, did everybody else get the memo that it was only 40%? Yeah, it was kind of a, it's one of the things I noticed right away. I'm like, holy cow, it looks full. So, yeah, um, yeah I guess my big concern would be just, I don't know if Marion County is going to do an audit now and figure out if somehow IMS is not compliant and throw a bunch of suits at them or whatnot or find them or whatever. It was uh, it was really great to just see the fans at the track, though, and, you know, to listen to the ovation that Elio got or to see the reaction when Connor Daly took the lead for his first career laps led at that IMS was was really awesome. So hope the fans uh, stayed safe. Obviously, it's kind of a confusing one, too, just with the rules set in place by federal government and then local governments and whatnot. They kind of conflict each other sometimes. You know, CDC says that if you're vaccinated and outdoors yeah. that no masks are required, but then Marion County decides another thing, and then also they restrict it to 40%. It's kind of just like, honestly, it can confuse a lot of people out there for sure, just with the differing rules, but if you went to the race, I hope you had a fun time. If you've been vaccinated, I think uh, that's the safest measure going forward to attend the races. So I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about there if you have been vaccinated. So I wonder what we'll see going forward. But like you said, Detroit and Road America are having their paddocks open, which is going to be awesome for the fans. And and uh, we'll see what the, if masks are required or anything like that going forward. But we will move on to our predictions here. Oh, sorry. We, Before we get to our predictions, we have to do the driver of the day and disappointment of the day. So who was your driver of the day? Well, I'm going to take the obvious one here because I never take the obvious one here. Elio Castroneves entered legendary conversation with his fourth win. So hats off to him and the Meyer Shank racing team, our content partners for the year, which is pretty cool to have you know, be partnered with the winning team in some way. So Go LAO and, and go MSR. Yes, they did good. I think uh, another one for me is going to be Alex Pillow. I think uh guy we haven't really talked about a whole lot in this episode, but can't take away anything he did in the race. And, you know, he's probably going to replay those last five laps in his head a lot because I do think it could have played out a little differently if he had managed a little better. But again, the guy has been on a tear this year and I think he's the only driver to lead a lap in every race so far. So he's uh, continuing that, that good run. So that's good to see disappointment of the day. Uh, real quick. I want to give an honorable mention to Sage Karam who we'll talk about on our predictions, but yeah, shout out to Sage disappointment of the day. I am going to go with Felix Rosenquist. He it's it's deceiving because he did lead 14 laps because he was way off strategy with Takuma Sato there, but he started started 14th, had the pit lane speeding penalty, so he had to he had a drive through penalty on lap 81. But even before that, he was he just wasn't really. I don't think he was. Yeah, I know he started in the top 15, but I don't think he was top 15 contention at any point once the race started and it's kind of continuing a scary trend for Felix this year where he just hasn't had a good result yet yeah it's an alarming one another one for me would be in my prediction or sorry my 
my answer is going to be James Hinchcliffe was just invisible all day. He's just been, he's just had an invisible year. I just, I don't think I heard his name mentioned once either. I just don't know what's going on, but something is not working there in that entry. And I don't know how much patience Michael's going to have because the whole thing was, you know, Marco and Veach aren't doing well, so let's change some of the staff. Oh, they're still not doing well, so let's replace Veach and let's have Marco, you know, go down to part time and let's bring in Hinch and Herta and we'll see if that helps. And obviously, Herta's doing well, but Hinch, I, I just don't know. I don't know anymore. It's it's sad almost. So, moving into our predictions, our we had a winner prediction for the Indy 500. I had Graham Ray Hall. Really bummed about that one. I hope you're not, you're not allowed to give me any crap on that one. That one was looking real solid, uh, but obviously ended up obviously ended up 32nd. Kanan 10th. He uh, he got really hosed early on with the stops and whatnot, the recycling of the the order. So. I think a 10th for him is a pretty solid result given everything. Uh, good prediction. I had Sage Karam. Thank you, Sage, for bailing me out. That was that was an awesome result. You did good. You uh, making me look smart here. Really love that. Uh, hope to see you at the track. Hope to see you at more races soon because uh, I think that is what we've been. That was, must be such a satisfying result for him after a couple of tough years of dry and ride bold and just Agreed. one reason or another that that program hasn't been really working on race day but for seventh that's kind of like the old sage caram that we were used to seeing up front so that's that's awesome you had jack harvey 18th but again a really bad pit stop a really another kind of self-inflicted mistake by that team i think it's kind of funny too i don't think the uh the 06 entry really put a foot wrong with pit stops all day and they're the yeah. part-time they're the part-time slash one-off guys and then we got harvey and the a-team squad with Meyer Shank and they're continually making mistakes. So I don't know what's going on there. Maybe some promotions coming. <laughs> promotions and people getting put on waivers. I don't know what's going on here. Uh bad prediction. I had Elio. That's uh, unfortunate. That's really unfortunate. And then you had Newgarden P twelve. I think it's bad by Penske standards. I don't yeah. know if it's bad in general though. Yeah. At least I win that one. I mean I'm not winning these predictions overall. I'll, I'll say that, but yeah, these these are these are easily my worst IndyCar predictions of the year as a as a as a group. And then first out, I had Ed Jones at P28, and then you had Montoya at P9. Uh, so Stephen Wilson was the first one actually out. Jones was. A lot I don't down. know. I heard. I can't remember if it was pull day or what where Jimmy Vassar was talking about how they got a specific chassis number. I think it's chassis number 12 to match his car number that he won the car Correct. championship with. And he was talking about Ed's been doing great this year. He just don't have the results to show for it, but we really like what he's doing for the team. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what, like, what are you talking about? We're we talking about the same guy. We're talking if about, you're Ed talking Jones? about an, another guy who was pretty much invisible on race day. It was Ed Jones. I mean, he plummeted through the field and finished either one lap or two laps down. I think just one lap down. And outside of being mentioned because he came out of pit lane kind of as the leaders were going by him, I don't think he was really talked about during the race. No, he wasn't. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the owners see, to be honest. I don't know if there's something else that we're missing, but 
Um, I mean, Pietro Fittipaldi and um, Grosjean. Well, yeah, Grosjean and the Roden Street. Who does Coin? Did Coin have a third entry? This? No. They didn't, did they? See, there we go. No, oh, the I mean, they were going to maybe have. Yeah. Yeah, they were going to maybe have Cody Ware, but there again, another team that were, I think, a part time entry could have helped them. But I think it's good for Jones that there wasn't a third car. That could have been even worse. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else Indy 500 related to talk about? Is there anything else we missed? I don't think so. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Watch the replays. And yeah, let's look at the championship outlook here. And yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else 500 related. I hope everybody enjoyed it. <laughs> there were plenty of olds on Facebook who oh, did no. not enjoy it. But I will just leave it at that. You can go on Facebook if you if you want. I don't want to. Yeah, Matt. Oh, just I forgot one thing that we didn't discuss was that the it seemed like I mean I know the conditions were ideal for a race because it was a little cooler, but it seemed like the package that IndyCar worked on in the off season did help. Uh, I know some of the recent Indy 500s haven't been as entertaining as some of the ones from yesteryear, but I definitely think this race was not only entertaining but really gripping and had a good finish. So credit to Jay Fry and company because I do think if we can help build on what we did this season for the Indy 500 for next year and just kind of keep tweaking it. I do think uh, this package can work because that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think this was a huge step in the right direction aerodynamically to get these cars to where they need to be to put on a, a good race. So hats off to Jay Fry and the aerodynamic team, which I think is led by Timo Belly. Tino Belly, I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering his name, but He's a great follow on LinkedIn if you want to learn more about IndyCar and aerodynamics of, of all social media platforms. But anyway, we'll wrap it up there, guys. Formula One this weekend. We'll do a live show for it. I think I will. Matt will be away for the weekend. I am hoping to make my at-track debut for the year at Road America. Fingers crossed. I don't know how many media they're allowing in, but now that the paddock is open to fans, I'm kind of hoping media restrictions ease a little bit. Time will tell on that one. I probably won't know until probably after we record next week, but fingers crossed I get to see some fine people in Road America. If not soon after that, I would love to be back at the racetrack this year. And I think that's it. Have a lovely weekend of racing, guys. Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O and let them know that we sent you there. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo Jo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashion You. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. 
Death of a Sports Star, a new series from Crowd Network.